Section 3 of The Reconciliation of Races and Religions by Thomas Kelly Chain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Effect of Sufism, which in the outset was a spiritual pantheism combined with quietism, developed in a way that was by no means so satisfactory. The saintly mystic poet Abu Sa'id has defined it thus, quote, To lay aside what thou hast in thy head, desires and ambitions, and to give away what thou hast in thy hand, and not to flinch from whatever befalls thee. Footnote, same as above, 2.208. This is, of course, not intended as a complete description, but shows that the spirit of the earlier Sufism was profoundly ethical. Count Gobineau, however, assures us that the Sufism which he knew was both enervating and immoral. Certainly, the later Sufi poets were inclined to overpress symbolism, and the luscious sweetness of the poetry may have been unwholesome for some, both for poets and for readers. Still, I question whether, for properly trained readers, this evil result should follow. The doctrine of the impermanence of all that is not God, and that love between two human hearts is but a type of the love between God and his creatures, and that the supreme happiness is that of identification with God, has never been more alluringly expressed than by the Sufi poets. The Sufis, then, are true forerunners of the Baab and his successors. There are also two men, Muslims, but not Sufis who have a claim to the same title. But I must first of all do honour to an Indian Sufi. Inoyat Khan The message of this noble company has been lately brought to the West. Footnote Message Sufi de la Liberté Spirituelle Paris, 1913 The bearer, who is in the fullness of youthful strength, is Inayat Khan, a member of the Sufi order, a practised speaker, and also devoted to the traditional sacred music of India. His own teacher, on his deathbed, gave him this affecting charge. Quote, Goest thou broad into the world, harmonise the east and the west with thy music, spread the knowledge of Sufism, for thou art gifted by Allah, the most merciful, the compassionate. So then, Vivekananda, Abdul Baha, and Inayat Khan, not to mention here several Buddhist monks, are all missionaries of Eastern religious culture to Western, and two of these specifically represent Persia. We cannot do otherwise than thank God for the concordant voice of Baha'ite and Sufite. Both announce the evangel of the essential oneness of humanity 
which will one day and sooner than non-religious politicians expect be translated into fact and as the first step towards this desire of all nations they embrace every opportunity of teaching the essential unity of religions pagodas just as mosques are homes of prayer tis prayer that church bells chime unto the air yea church and kaaba rosary and cross are all but diverse tongues of a world-wide prayer footnote a winfield's translation of the quatrains of omar khayyam number twenty two thirty four so writes a poet omar khayyam whom inayat khan claims as a sufi and who at any rate seems to have had sufi intervals unmixed spiritual prayer may indeed be uncommon but we may hope that prayer with no spiritual elements at all is still more rare it is the object of prophets to awaken the consciousness of the people to its spiritual needs of this class of men inayat khan speaks thus quote, the prophetic mission was to bring into the world the divine wisdom to apportion it to the world according to that world's comprehension to adapt it to its degree of mental evolution as well as to dissimilar countries and periods it is by this adaptability that the many religions which have emanated from the same moral principle differ the one from the other and it is by this that they exist in fact each prophet had for his mission to prepare the world for the teaching of the prophet who was to succeed him and each of them foretold the coming of his successor down to mahomet the last messenger of the divine wisdom and as it were the lookout point in which all the prophetic cycle was centred for mahomet resumed the divine wisdom in this proclamation nothing exists god alone is the final message whither the whole line of the prophets tended and where the boundaries of religions and philosophies took their start with this message prophetic interventions are henceforth useless the sufi has no prejudice against any prophet and contrary to those who only love one to hate the other the sufi regards them all as the highest attribute of god as wisdom herself present under the appearance of names and forms he loves them with all his worship for the lover worships the beloved in all her garments it is thus that the sufis contemplate their well-beloved divine wisdom in all her robes in her different ages and under all the names that she bears abraham moses jesus mahomet footnote message sufi de la liberté paris nineteen thirteen pages 
34, 35. The idea of the equality of the members of the worldwide prophethood, the whole body of prophets being the unique personality of divine wisdom, is, in my judgment, far superior to the corresponding theory of the exclusive Mohammedan orthodoxy. That theory is that each prophet represents an advance on his predecessor, whom he therefore supersedes. Now that Muhammad as a prophet was well adapted to the Arabians, I should be most unwilling to deny. I am also heartily of opinion that a Christian may well strengthen his own faith by the example of the fervour of many of the Muslims. But to say that the Qur'an is superior to either the Old Testament or the New is surely an error, only excusable on the ground of ignorance. It is true, neither of Judaism nor of Christianity were the representatives in Muhammad's time such as we should have desired. Ignorance on Muhammad's part was unavoidable. But unavoidable also was the anti-Islamic reaction, as represented especially by the order of the Sufis. We may hope that both action and reaction may one day become unnecessary. That will depend largely on the Baha'is. It is time, however, to pass on to those precursors of Babism who were neither Sufites nor Zoroastrians, but who, nonetheless, continued the line of the national religious development. The majority of Persians were Shiites. They regarded Ali and the Imams as virtually divine manifestations. This, at least, was their point of union. Otherwise, they fell into two great divisions, known as the sect of the seven and the sect of the twelve, respectively. Mirza Ali Muhammad belonged by birth to the latter, which now forms the state religion of Persia. But there are several points in his doctrine which he held in common with the former, that is, the Ismailis. These are, quote, the successive incarnations of the universal reason, the allegorical interpretation of scripture, and the symbolism of every ritual form and every natural phenomenon. Footnote NH, Introduction, page 13. The doctrine of the impermanence of all that is not God, and that love between two human hearts is but a type of the love between God and his human creatures, and the bliss of self-annihilation had long been inculcated in the most winning manner by the Sufis. Sheikh Ahmad Yet they were no Sufis, but precursors of Babism, in a more thorough and special sense, and both were Muslims. The first was Sheikh Ahmad of Ahsal in the province of Bahrain. He knew full well that he was chosen of God to prepare men's hearts for the reception of the more complete truth shortly to be revealed, and that through him the way of access 
to the hidden twelfth imam mahdi was reopened but he did not set this forth in clear and unmistakable terms lest the unregenerate should turn again and rend him according to a shiite authority he paid two visits to persia in one of which he was in high favour with the court and received as a yearly subsidy from the shah's son the sum of seven hundred tomans and in the other owing chiefly to a malicious colleague his theological doctrines brought him into much disrepute yet he lived as a pious muslim and died in the odour of sanctity as a pilgrim to mecca footnote a m b nicola pages two sixty four to two seventy two n h pages two thirty five two thirty six one of his opponents mulla ali said of him that he was quote, an ignorant man with a pure heart End quote. well ignorant we dare not call him except with a big qualification for his aim required great knowledge it was nothing less than the reconciliation of all truth both metaphysical and scientific now he had certainly taken much trouble about truth and had written many books on philosophy and the sciences as understood in islamic countries we can only qualify our eulogy by admitting that he was unaware of the limitations of human nature and of the weakness of persian science pure in heart however he was no qualification is needed here except it be one which mulla ali would not have regarded as requiring any excuse for purity he like many others understood in a large sense it was the reward of courageous buffeting and enslaving of the body he was an austere ascetic he had a special devotion to jafar sadiq footnote t n page two ninety seven the sixth imam whose guidance he believed himself to enjoy in dreams and whose words he delighted to quote of course ali was the director of the council of the imams but the councillors were not much less and were equally faithful as mirrors of the supreme this remains true even if ali be regarded as himself the supreme god footnote the sheikh certainly tended in the direction of the sect of the ali elahis n h page one forty two Kremer, Herrschende Ideen des Islams, page 31, who belonged to the Rolot, or extreme Shiites, Brown, Literary History of Persia, page 310, identical with Allah, or with the Ormazd, Ahura Mazda of the Zoroastrians. For the twelve Imams were all of the rank of divinities, not that they were partners with god they were simply manifestations of the invisible god but they were utterly voracious manifestations in speaking of allah as the sheikh taught we may venture to intend ali footnote 
the sheikh held that in reciting the opening surah of the quran the worshipper should think of ali should intend ali as his god this explains how the sheikh can have taught that the imams took part in creation and are agents in the government of the world in support of this he quoted quran surah twenty three fourteen quote, god the best of creators End quote. and had he been a broader and more scientific theologian might have mentioned how the amshaspans ameshaspentas are grouped with ormazd in the creation story of zoroastrianism and how in that of genesis one the director of the heavenly council says quote, let us make man End quote. footnote genesis one twenty two the sheikh also believed strongly in the existence of a subtle body which survives the dissolution of the palpable material body footnote t n page two thirty six and will alone be visible at the resurrection nothing almost gave more offence than this it seemed to be only a few degrees better than the absolute denial of the resurrection body ventured upon by the akhbaris footnote gobineau pages thirty nine forty and yet the notion of a subtle internal body a notion which is indian as well as persian has been felt even by many westerners to be for them the only way to reconcile reason and faith end of section three